0: Scott board with Exploring Unexplained Phenomena, and it's great to be with you, whether you're at the workplace or just kicking around home. With me is Jim Shorty, and I'm going to ask Jim for a weather forecast in a little bit. We had in some rain bit, that okay. came through uh, last night, and uh, Jim says that, that uh, in the... Either in the midst or shortly after that last wave of rain, he heard a lawnmower fire up.
1: Yeah, I I could swear this morning, someone's out mowing their lawn. Wow. I, I've mowed
0: it in a light rain because I, mm-hmm. I had to get it done, and there was no other time for it. But surely after a heavy rain like we had that you wouldn't go out because it would be yeah, so it's, darn it's, wet.
1: It's hard to mow, and it's not real good for your mower. Uh,
0: Jim, we've got a great show today. Um, Of course we do Coming up we've got Charlene with the Capital Humane Mm -hmm. Society We have a brand new segment with Brent Raines Awesome Called What is Reality And we've got a main guest I think you're going to love Greg Lawson makes his first appearance today He's written a book called How to Be a Paranormal Detective And I read the thing, finished it last night It's an excellent book Good you know, you and, and Lloyd and I have had conversations oh, on yeah. the program before about the need for more training. You can't watch a TV show and then think you're going to be a ghost hunter.
1: Sure. You need to know how to dig into this stuff and do the research and, and find out the history. And Here's and, the textbook. Uh, there, there's the textbook, yeah.
0: So, great show today. Let's start off with the Capital Humane Society. Let's do. And Charlene, and she should be right there if I pushed all the buttons.
2: Good morning.
0: There's Hi, Charlene.
2: How
1: are you? Jim, how am I? Uh, you look good, Scott. Uh, you don't look a day over 50. You're making me really reach for my coffee there. <laughs> oh, well, you want me to move it closer to you? Okay. Yeah, I got it. Yeah, yeah. sure.
0: No, Charlene, we're doing great, and it's yeah. so, so good to hook up with you. We uh, appreciate our relationship with you. So many people have contacted us outside the studio and say, you know what? My dog's now two years old, and guess where I got him, the Capital Humane Society.
2: We love that. We also get updates on our Facebook page, and it is really inspiring and so motivating for us, the staff and the volunteers, to know that these animals are in great homes and doing well.
0: So tell us what's going on at the Capital Humane Society.
2: Uh, We always have some special events going on, and coming up on Saturday, July 13th is Tales and Taps. So a a great way to help Capital Humane Society is to be a participant in our fundraisers. And so this is one you could consider. Um, It is, again, Saturday, July 13th, and you can find all the details on our website at CapitalHumaneSociety.org.
1: So you're going to be out there tap dancing with with dogs and cats, right? (laughs) Perhaps.
2: Perhaps. (laughs) (laughs) I guess we
1: have to go to the website and find out.
2: There you go.
0: Also on the website, they'll find out about the Working Cats program. And that's
2: a really good program. Sometimes we get cats in that may not be using their litter box appropriately or maybe semi-feral, but they still have a purpose and we have them uh, get adopted as working cats. So they'll help people as mousers. Um, They still need proper care, of course, and shelter and proper um, vet care. Um, But you can learn more about that program also on our website.
0: Uh, this is Sherling with the Capital Humane Society. If you'd like to follow along at home, we're going to talk first about cats and kittens for adoption. The website, you can look at pictures, is CapitalHumaneSociety.org. So pour yourself a cup of coffee or grab that glass of juice and go to CapitalHumaneSociety.org. And here we go. This is Cats for Adoption.
2: We will start with Dean. And he's got a cute little pink nose. He's a year old, a domestic short hair, uh, knows how to strike a very cute pose and wants very much to be the center of attention and a great new home.
0: Okay, Dean, great-looking cat, very inquisitive. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, Jim and I can only imagine, too, what the photographer is holding in terms of a, a toy or a gadget. So Dean's really looking.
1: A black and white kitty with stripes and, and details in the black, and it looks like a nice raccoon tail.
2: You're right, yes.
1: Okay,
0: Dino, or Dean for short, looking for a great home, and his buddy is...
2: Saber, who is a 10-year-old neutered male, orange tabby cat. He is a big cat, probably a little over 20 pounds, and just has one eye. Uh, he's also front declawed and seeking a great indoor-only home. And he is just a sweetheart. So if you like a big, beautiful cat, ask about Saber.
1: Oh, that's, what, what a what a big guy! Lots of kitty to keep your
0: lap yes. warm. Yes,
2: yes, more yep. to love.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> Butterscotch colored, beautiful cat. Okay, we've got Dean and Saber. And they've got a friend, and his or her name is?
2: Wesley. And Wesley is a flame point Siamese, four years old, a neutered male, a very oh, bright pretty. guy. He's also polydactyl, so he has the extra toes, so he's extra cute, and we want someone to meet this cool cat soon. <laughs>
1: that means one extra claw per foot.
2: Uh, yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh,
1: very very un- unusual in, in, in these parts, uh... Ernest Hemingway had polydactyl cats at his abode in Florida. And uh, you could go down there and the descendants of those cats still roam the grounds.
2: We do see them um, regularly here, not all the time. But it is really cute Mm -hmm. when they have those little extra paws that they're needing.
0: Okay, we've got uh, Dean, Saber, and Wesley. And in case these uh, pictures entice you, Here's Charlene with hours open.
2: We are open at our Pylock Pet Adoption Center today and tomorrow from 11 to 530.
0: Charlene, what's in your cup this morning?
2: I'm doing iced coffee. It's very refreshing. Ooh,
0: very good. Mm-hmm. Okay, dogs for adoption from the Capital Humane Society.
2: We're going to start with Memphis, a little miniature pincher. <laughs> Um, about six years old, a neutered male, full of personality. He's a little bit shy at first, but then once he trusts you, he's just a wiggly, happy guy. Um, He wants to be the only canine in the home and needs a home without children, but he knows the perfect family is out there that will just adore his companionship. So instead
1: of walking into Memphis, you're walking with Memphis.
2: Right. There
1: you go. (laughs) Yeah, I can, gosh,
0: I can think of the song trying to think of the artist I'm
1: drawing a blank Yeah,
0: I'm
2: afraid
0: so Yeah, hello information Gibby, Memphis, Tennessee da 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 okay Yeah enough of the song my frivolity here and my my musical lack of knowledge Memphis great looking dog And he's got a buddy, Memphis's buddy is.
2: So Memphis is our small dog, and Walter is our very big dog. He is a Great Dane available for adoption, 110 pounds, 6 years old, very dignified dog, a gentle giant, loves attention, um, would like to meet a wonderful new family today.
0: That's a lot of dog. Yes. (laughs) Great picture there, uh, the Great Dane Walter. And he could indeed waltz into your home. Take a look at his picture on CapitalHumaneSociety.org on the website. And who's our third dog?
2: Jackson. And Jackson's a happy dog. A three-year-old Australian Shepherd Weimaraner mix. Uh, very high energy, would love to play ball and go for walks, maybe even be a running partner. He's looking for a family um, that will be uh, his one and only. He doesn't care for other dogs, and he is going to be a fine companion.
0: He's got kind of a nice uh, awareness and a grin going there for the Uh photographer. J-A-X-O-N, Jackson. Okay, we've got... uh, Memphis, and that artist was Johnny Rivers, by the way.
2: Ah, came to ya. (laughs)
0: Walter and, yeah, one more sip of coffee. Walter and Jackson, among great dogs for adoption. Take a look at their pictures at CapitalHumaneSociety.org. And please, today and tomorrow, go out and see them. Once again, here's Charlene with hours open.
2: We will be open at our Pylock Pet Adoption Center today and tomorrow from 11 to 5.30.
0: Okay, my friend, thank you for all that you do, and my best to the staff out there and all the volunteers.
2: Thank you for everything. Have a great day.
0: Sherylane and friends of the Capital Humane Society, make them the first place you go when you want to adopt a dog or a cat. I'm Scott Colborn. Next up, we're going to uh, talk with Brent Rains, and uh, a brand-new segment that we're debuting today called What is Reality? Before my first cup of coffee, when I stare at myself in the mirror in the morning, I'm saying exactly the same thing. What is reality? Our main guest today is Greg Lawson, How to Be a Paranormal Detective. Uh, Rosemary Ellen Guiley's uh, excellent publishing company, Visionary Living Publishing, has just published that book. And uh, I will more than wax poetic about it uh, during that segment. Uh, it's a uh, great new addition to the literature. Next week, we've got uh, first-time guest, Linda Zlotnick. I like saying her last name, Zlotnick. That's fun. Linda Zlotnick, Star Sisters, an astrologer's memoir of twin loss. And Peter Bebregal, the author of Strange Frequencies, The Extraordinary Story, of the technological quest for the supernatural. He comes up um, July 6th, and I believe, although I didn't write it down, I think the 13th is a return of the um, Civil War historian and the guide of the Gettysburg ghost tours, Mark Nesbitt. And uh, for the Civil War buffs, the people that have been there, it's always wow. Always going to be a really interesting, interesting time with Mark. That'll be July 13th. We're basking here in the cool comfort of the KZUM studios. I've been with uh, KZUM radio for, oh, right around 35 years. The program's uh, in excess of 34 years. And seen several facilities so far, this is by far, of course, the, the best We were able to design this for uh, our needs as opposed to trying to move in and and make do with some other place. And uh, we've just absolutely loved it. The landlord here is great to work with. The neighbors are fantastic. The uh, College U area, very supportive. One of my favorite coffee places is just right down the street. (laughs) And uh, so we're very, very happy here. And part of the reason why we're here and doing so well is because of you guys and gals out there. A lot of you have uh, been supporting us financially as a nonprofit, non-commercial radio station for many years now. And we appreciate that very, very much. Uh, If you'd like to make any sort of donation or contribution, you can go to the website kzum.org and you can certainly do that at any time that you wish. And if you want to put in a... uh, a plug or an attaboy, boy. Be sure and say, "Hey, I like that EUP show." I actually saw a friend of mine uh, at the library who said <laughs> that he didn't like the show, but he got along with me okay, and that's that's fine too. You kind of wonder sometimes when people don't like a show, but they they keep listening. So, okay, well, yeah. we're going to debut a brand new segment now, and. Uh, This is a gentleman that we've had on a number of times. Uh, He has his pulse on a number of different fields. Uh, He is an author in his own right, and he is the publisher of an excellent online magazine called Alternate Perceptions Magazine. And we'd like to welcome for now our regular fourth Saturday of the Month guest, Mr. Brent Rains. And Brent, good morning to you.
3: Hey, here I am. (laughs) It's great. Hey, to thank, thank you, Scott, for that introduction and for inviting me to do this monthly spot on your your program. It's a great honor, and I'm humbled.
0: Well, uh, we've you know, uh, Jim and and Colleen and I we've all talked and said, boy, we like Brent. Mm-hmm. He is so fun to have on here, and uh, he's got such a wide uh, range of interest. He's knowledgeable, and I would add my own personal, uh, <laughs> a positive note. Uh, He's the guy that likes John Keel as do I. And uh, so Brent it's it's great to have you here. Uh, well, so thank you. This is your first program. How do you want to do this? What we've chosen a name what is reality?
3: Yeah, and I I uh think that's a great title that you uh you had suggested for the spot uh because, you know, I think that uh that's something that's on my mind a lot and I'm sure it's on your mind and, and Jim and Colleen's, you know, oh, everybody yeah. that gets into this, uh, there's, uh, there's a lot of, uh, and certainly writers like John Keel and Jacques Valley have the, you know, early pioneers in this. They, they, uh, they questioned that a whole lot. In fact, I, I know that uh, a few years ago Jacques Vallée was at a, MUFON conference I think in 1991 and and uh, had made the comment that I seem to be the only one here that hasn't made his mind up exactly what's going on you know know something is but <laughs> exactly what and he suggested we kind of go back and you know do our homework and homework and and, and go back and re-interview some of the experiences to get a, you know because a lot of us in the field uh, it's easy to get into uh, what the psychologists call confirmation bias you know where uh you start to look only for the clues that uh fit your belief system your personal belief and you know Keel was made the statement one time you know that uh belief is the enemy <laughs> and of course we all have some 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 degree of bias but objectivity with all of this is really the the golden rule mm-hmm. and yeah. uh we uh, uh... there's so much of it that uh really you know, I know that Brad Steiger had uh, uh, written that he, you know, explored an, a, a whole number of different. Uh, I think over a dozen different theories, beliefs, and and each one would work. Along, you know, go he could go so far with it, and it would seem to oh, this is great, this is everything's fitting in And then there would be some some case come along, and it would, you know, uh, it would kind of demolish everything that he had been. You know, trying to establish, and 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 uh, you got uh, you got physical dimensions to the phenomena, and then you got these paranormal aspects that creep in, and and it's a whole lot more complex and mm-hmm. perplexing than I than you know. I feel that the than the UFO mainstream has so long uh, tried to betray it. We uh,
0: so, we've, we've got a, a consensus reality that we all. Uh, slip into and or live in um, every day. We've got laws that we adhere to and traffic regulations, and we've got social procedures and norms and expected behavior at work um, in settings of family and friends. And so we all have these, these sort of governing uh, uh, themes that uh, help structure our lives. And then for many of us, Brent... Something happens that uh, I've just called an extraordinary experience, and it really mm-hmm. it really causes each of mm-hmm. us individually to sit back on our heels and say, "Wait a minute, wow, I wasn't even aware of that what What does that mean? Uh, am I going nuts <laughs> if i 'm not going <laughs> nuts you know how do I incorporate this? And so it's a little, maybe, maybe even more than a little, it's a nudge and it's a, it's a bump to maybe widen one's vision. Uh, Jim, last night I posted on Facebook, and Brent, you might have seen this, I posted that uh, six years ago on the summer solstice, I was in Lincoln, Nebraska, and went out about 10.50 p.m. It's actually out earlier than that. And on my back deck, and happened to look to the south, and I saw a uh, UFO, an unidentified mm-hmm. flying object. And I described it. I drew a picture of it, reported it to MUFON. Uh, and so last night I went out for about 30 minutes again. And a beautiful night. watching it for it. Some, some passing clouds. Uh, and enjoyed my my time out there, but. Um, well no UFO this time. No UFO. So, uh, Brent, how is that that we all kind of live in in sort of channels, if you will, and we do our day to day thing, and then suddenly something happens, and really can upset that apple cart. Yeah, and
3: this is the you know this is something that. Um, more and more people are, are starting to question. I mean, the stranglehold that the mainstream perspective has had so long, I think, is kind of crumbling. Some, and and we've actually got uh, people from the scientific community, more and more, who are becoming interested. And of course, now we, you know, we see this stuff on the History Channel where uh, people with the military are coming forward and, and, uh, there seems to be a, a, a new, uh, a big change. Uh, and, you know, we got, uh, senators and, and we got, uh, people from, you know, intelligence backgrounds, Pentagon saying, Oh yeah, this, this stuff is, is real, you know? And, um, and, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's quite an interesting turnaround. And yet, you know, there, a lot of them are still dazzled by the, the mere physical presence, you know, and, and and wondering about the threat. But this thing has been around, you know, so long. I mean, I had your uh, co-host, Colleen, on uh, late last year uh, doing a show with us about the Native American perspective and experiences with UFOs and, and various entities, cryptids. And, I mean, these phenomena have been around for a long, long time. You know, if it was any real imminent threat to our... Our um uh, you know invasion from space or something uh we'd have been conquered a long time ago or destroyed whatever you know um but we have reports that are um very very anomalous and and i can't. i think of greg bishop uh out there in l a who you know the excluded middle guy who has his own radio show radio maestro or something that He uh, made a statement that uh, that UFOs are not only uh, uh, very strange, they're, well, something like that, but they're stranger than we can even think. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're not only stranger than we can, uh, yeah, anyway, I'm sorry. (laughs) Should have had that written on a note before I said it, but uh, it's true, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around these things. I mean, not only do we have things that people can see and appear very physical, but... Uh, very reputable people have described how what looked like solid craft suddenly like fly into a mountain, you know, a solid hillside. Sometimes a uh, lady down in <clears throat> Brazil described how she saw this uh, cylindrical craft at close range slide into a, a hillside just feet from her car. You know, she'd come around a corner in a little valley, and uh, she was living in Brazil for a number of years and observe this and another time she even observed a uh uh, this very strange four-legged creature inside her house that was you know partly visible and uh um she could actually see partly through it it walked up these stairs beside her and it got to the top of the stairs and disappeared and then she found three or four other people who uh independently described seeing the same thing um a lot of times, you know, uh, a ufologist will come across something like this and say, okay, well, that's not my field. I'm, I'm strictly dealing with the, the nuts and bolts, the physical ET craft, you know, because this is where they're, they've they been conditioned through the uh, literature and, and what they've read to, to expect. And they say, well, that belongs to the cryptid people or that belongs to the uh, parapsychologist or, or whomever. And uh, we need, need more of a multidisciplinary approach, more open approach to these things. Oh, I and, agree. And, and look at everything.
0: Yeah, I agree. Uh, in fact, our, our main guest today, Greg Lawson, uh, he has uh, written a book called How to Be a Paranormal Detective. And he has a, uh, a couple of paragraphs in there where he talks about this very need. That that's the way that we get more information. And we get closer to the truth. Uh, when you've got a ufologist that is laughing at a at a a ghost hunter, and a ghost hunter that's laughing at a a out of body researcher, an out of body researcher that's laughing at a demonologist, a demonologist that's laughing at you know, we we need to look at these other fields because we can get information that really helps us understand uh, the phenomena.
3: Uh, I, yeah, we need I, that multidisciplinary approach really bad. Um, we, uh, like in parapsychology, looking, I mean, there, there are so many experiences. I've always been interested in the contact experiences because not only do they describe the interaction or, or people have had close encounters with UFOs, but often they, there are all these paranormal uh, events poltergeist ghosts and so mm-hmm. on apparitions of various kinds that that are, are cryptids that also enter into their their life and uh, if you want to you know um, survey or to understand the the big picture you've got to try to to look at everything that the experiencer reports and describes and uh, and there have been very few parapsychologists. There was the late D. Scott Rogo and uh, psychiatrist Dr. Berthold Schwartz, who, who looked at uh, those things. And Dr. Schwartz got interested in it because of, of uh, John Keel, you know. And uh, Keel's perspective was, uh, ghost aliens, what's the difference? Uh, he actually wrote that.
0: <laughs> so, uh, Brent, and, we're going to uh, send people to your website because you've got a, a newsletter that you publish. And uh, people can uh, sign up and read this for free.
3: hmm Yes. Uh, it's uh, apmagazine.info and uh, we have come out on the first of each month with a new issue. We have different articles and uh, interviews and book reviews and uh, try to keep people informed and, and all of our issues are archived. So if uh, anyone wants to you know, look at other other features and articles, they're certainly welcome to do so.
0: Uh, Brent, my best to you and your wife, your family, and it's great to have you as part of this team. Thank you so very much. It's an honor on our parts.
3: Okay, well, well thank you, Scott. I, I sincerely appreciate it, and I look forward to further exchanges.
0: Okay, we'll be talking to you again in July.
3: All right. All right. Thanks, well, Brent. Thank you very much for having me.
0: Brent Raines, the website is AP, that's the letters, APMagazine.info. I'm Scott Colborn. We're going to be right back with Greg Lawson. How to be a paranormal detective
4: right after this. And support for KZUM comes from ZooFest 2019 an annual two-day music festival featuring national, regional, and local musicians. July 19th and 20th, downtown at 14th Street between O and P, with Mike Zito, Satchel Grande, Bruce Katz Band, James Harmon, and Mavis Staples. Tickets, full lineup, and other details at Zubar.
5: This program is made possible in part by a grant from the Corporation for Public
6: Broadcasting. And... Jazz in June, presenting Nabaya Garcia... Tuesday, June 25th at 7 p.m. Located at 12th and R Street near the Sheldon Museum of Art, Jazz in June is a family-friendly event for all with a market at 5 p.m. with food vendors, crafts, and more. Details for this season's lineup, VIP seating, and meet and greets at jazzinjune.com.
7: My name is Manny Morales. I'm 45 and I coach youth football. It's still hard to believe because the high school me was a work in progress. But Big Brothers Big Sisters gave me a real role model. And the young me, neither a role model bad. My bigger brother's name is Ray. And Ray is the reason that this seven-year-old grows up to be a role model himself.
1: Whether you donate money or time, you're helping Big Brothers Big Sisters help a child. Start something today at BigBrothersBigSisters.org. Brought to you by Big Brothers Big Sisters and the Ad Council.
7: The full moon lights the silver rails winding around dark mountains and over steep gorges of jagged rock and one freezing cold rushing black mountain river. I wish there was enough time to describe all of the funny twists and turns that led up to now, but there isn't enough time because there's a ticking clock and the two passengers we care most about don't know anything about it. To see what happens next, visit read.gov to read The Exquisite Corpse, a riveting adventure pieced together by John Shuska, Shannon Hale, Daniel Handler, and other popular authors. Explore New Worlds. Read. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council.
0: Hey, the voice of the blues in Lincoln, Nebraska. KZUM
3: Lincoln and KZUM HD.
0: I'm Scott with Exploring Unexplained Phenomena, and it's great to be with you. My co-host is Jim Shorty. Good morning. And, uh...
1: Good morning, everyone.
0: There we go. I've got... You uh, gonna, can you hear me? <laughs> yeah, they can hear you. I've, I've got kind of a weird mic volume here that I'm trying to get adjusted. So, well, I'm going to forge ahead. I'm excited to talk to our next guest. Uh, Greg Lawson is a first-time guest on the show. And uh, he's traveled to over 40 countries. He's been to some of the wildest and weirdest sites Mm. on Earth and conducted his own investigation of their paranormal histories. Uh, Greg Lawson's got a 26-year law enforcement background uh, as a professional investigator, a police academy instructor, college educator, former expert witness for investigative procedures. I think he was a, uh, a marshal in charge of a firing range. I want to talk to him about that as well. And uh, he's authored two books on the subject for spiritual and unusual activity. And Greg specializes in providing alternative perspectives to explain human experience. So this book that he's written how to Be a Paranormal Detective, um, Rosemary Ellen Guiley's company put this out, mm-hmm. uh, is a wonderful addition. The parapsychologist Lloyd Arbach and you and I have talked about the need for something like this. Yes, we have. Um, Lloyd does an online class through the Rhine Education mm-hmm. Center, and uh, this book could and may will be A textbook for for that class and others. The book is How to Be a Paranormal Detective. And let's welcome Greg Lawson to the show. Hi, Greg.
5: Hey, Scott. Thanks a lot for having me.
0: Where do we find you this fine morning?
5: Um, I am sitting at my desk at home with my 19 year old cat sitting at my feet.
0: And is that, do you make your home in Texas?
5: I do. It's uh, Georgetown, Texas. Yes, sir.
0: Okay, Uh, Greg, I like to ask guests a question about their current life work and and connecting that at times to their childhood. Did you have something happen, or did you experience something when you were a a young boy that started you on this path of being curious and, and wanting to learn more?
5: Two things. Yeah. Uh, one, I had an older brother. He was uh, about 12 years older than me, and he used to torture me.
3: So <laughs>
5: that was that was part of it. Yeah. Um, he he would throw me. He had a little motorcycle, and he would throw me on the gas tank of his motorcycle when I was five. And then he would drive around to abandoned buildings and graveyards, and we would go out and look at the stuff. And they're all around Central Texas, north Austin, and uh, in that area. And so. That, uh, that led me down a, a paranormal explorer slash, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, urban type explorer, urban uh, and, and rural explorer, exploration. Uh, and also I was raised Catholic, um, without offending anybody. I'm, I'm now a recovering Catholic. <laughs> and, uh, um, uh, but that, that's where I, that's where my foundation came from was, um, very paranormal, very spiritual, very metaphysical, very, I mean, you know, you can go down the uh, the line on using all, uh, all of the adjectives you need to use about, you know, the Catholic Church as far as their beliefs and their practices and, and that sort of thing. So that kind of formulated me uh, into being who I am mm-hmm. all through high school and, and then going into the military and then just kind of continuing that. Urban slash rural exploration slash paranormal exploration and research. Mm-hmm. So those those were the two things. Uh, tor- uh, having a, an older brother who tortures you and um, brought up in the Catholic Church. So there uh, you
0: go. <laughs> I want to thank you for your uh, service, both in the military as well as in law enforcement. Greg, my brother was a, a Lincoln police officer for four and a half years, and he's now semi-retired, but. Uh, So uh, I know a little teeny bit about what you guys in your respective uniforms go through, and I have nothing but admiration for you. My sincere thanks. Well, thank you. I
5: appreciate that. Thank you.
0: So with that background in law enforcement and the military, you took the investigative procedures and how one does an investigation— and have written a book laying out things that we also can employ is that a fair kind of thumbnail assessment
5: absolutely yeah uh from from my experience of the places i've been and the uh you know i I typically uh read the history of wherever i'm going to go and then i will go to that place and see if the history matches it and whatever the lore is uh and then kind of that and i've I've always done that and then about halfway through my law enforcement career i was like wow there's a whole bunch of people kind of doing what i'm doing but you know they have no formalized training at all in conducting an investigation they're just kind of and and i'm not faulting anybody for that if you're if you're a car salesman and that's what you do and as a hobbyist you you know investigate paranormal uh, situations or activity or lo- locations, um, and you go do that, that, that's fine. But, you know, if, if you're going to uh, be a, a car salesman, you probably should take some, some classes on selling, some classes on interviewing, some classes on finance, insurance, that mm-hmm. sort of stuff. And that's where it seems like a lot of the paranormal stuff stops. It stops at the EMF detector. It stops at the spirit box. It stops at, you know, the, uh, the echo box. It stops at these technologies and these methods that, um, you know, when you test them, they, they're typically not repeatable. And so it, it, the scientific method falls off of it a little bit. But to clarify this, I'm not a debunker and I'm not um, – I, I believe it's something else. Um, you know, when you're talking paranormal – and you're going to use normal, natural occurring uh, collective measures to measure your paranormal. That makes absolutely no sense. Sorry. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like if you're going to use EMF to discover paranormal, well, EMF is not paranormal. It's normal. So, you know, there, there's this step that we need to take from being a ghost hunter, which I, I define a ghost hunter as what I did in high school: get some beer, get some cigarettes, go to the cemetery, run around, and scare each other, and you know, <laughs> do that. And then I, I talk about being a paranormal investigator. Well, you find a, a legend, and you go to that place, and you, you know, uh, set up some de- detection equipment or observation equipment, and then you see what happens, and then you get your results out of that. I, I'm, I am encouraging people. I'm not, I'm not diminishing. What people are doing, I'm encouraging them to take that next step. Mm-hmm. Let's go ahead and throw a little psychology in there, as far as in your interview with your experiencers. Yep. Let's throw a little bit of you know uh, scientific technology in there on how these these instruments that we're using to find paranormal activity, h- how do they really work, and what are they really doing? Um, and let's talk a little bit about what really paranormal and metaphysical is, and. It seems to me it's a human thing. It's not a technology thing. It's a, you know, psychic, spiritualists, mediums, that sort of stuff. I, I think us as humans, we're already, we already have the tools that we need to breach that paranormal, that metaphysical, that spiritual thing. It just has to do with refining that and getting there and then using these other technologies reliable technologies uh, and reliable histories to support whatever it is that experience that we're having. Mm -hmm.
0: Uh, Folks, this is Greg Lawson, and the book that Greg has just written and released is How to Be a Paranormal Detective. Uh, Greg's website is authorgreglawson.com. And uh, Rosemary Ellen Giley is the publisher. The website is Visionary Living Publishing. You'll also find uh, information on how to be a paranormal detective there at Rosemary's website. Uh, I saw on one of, I think, your Facebook page that you're also a musician?
5: <laughs> yeah. I. Uh, you know, being a law enforcement officer, nobody wants to play with a cop. Really? <laughs> <You> know, so, <laughs> No, yeah, it, other cops will play, you know, with the uh, music with the cop, but yeah, for the most part, musicians kind of steer steer away from cops. So, yeah, my whole family pretty much are, are musicians, and uh, I uh, I don't know, I, I fell off the bandwagon somewhere and, <laughs> and took another path. But um, so yeah, I play to my cat, I play to my dog, you know, I go in the garage, play my guitar, um, and then I have a, a, a few friends that have kind of pulled me aside that are not cops that. Um, have encouraged me because they wanted original material, and I do, <laughs> I do kind of um, twisted up original material. Good. So it it it, prov- it provides them a challenge to figure out how we can, you know, put all the put put everything together.
0: Yeah, good. I I uh, I play guitar and have for many years, and I I encourage it. So many studies have said that when we play musical instruments, it's going to keep us healthier and happier for far longer than the uh, the norm and uh, so i i think that's very very cool i um, think
5: that's absolutely true what you just said
0: so greg uh, you've got a curiosity has that when you've partnered up with people in law enforcement or the military and you've you've got to a point with that individual or individuals that you can broach the subject um have you found that your curiosity by other law enforcement or military guys is that shared uh, or is uh, greg kind of the woo woo guy
5: in the group yeah uh there there are a few people we we did a uh, i do a lot of uh, events out of state and and last year i did like 27 and I, i'm not doing that again that was that was way too many and so i've kind of stuck around texas this year i'm doing a couple uh, outside of texas and that's it and I'm, I'm kind of in a creative cycle i guess i'm i'm writing a, uh, another book and, and doing some other projects
3: Good.
5: and but but i did a uh, an event uh, with the Kling brothers down in uh, corpus christi at the lexington the uh, uh the aircraft carrier that's moored down there it's a museum uh and You know, there there were hundreds of people that were killed on that ship uh, during World War II. And so uh, by default, in and of itself, you know, there's a lot of history, a lot of stories, a lot of legend uh, out of there. So when we did this event, I had like 20 cops from uh, the area where I work uh, ended up showing up down there uh, to to spend the night on the Lexington and hang out and and just see what's going on. So that was a lot of fun. That was the most I've ever had (laughs) anywhere and for the most part, you, you know, there's Michael Shermer. I don't know if you're uh, uh, familiar yep, with him. He's, uh, he was an editor for Skeptic Magazine and, and, and does some really cool work. Uh, but <laughs> um, he's not a skeptic. He is a cynic. <laughs> Do not be confused. I respect him highly. Uh, however, if you say ghost, he's going to roll his eyes in law enforcement and professional investigations, in interviewing, interrogation, cross-examination. Body language is huge. Body language tells you the things that the people don't want you to know. Mm-hmm. Michael Shermer <laughs> he said it, and I love him. He's a great guy, I've learned a lot from him. But when when you're talking to somebody about something that's outside of their belief system, um. And they roll their eyes or they exhale or they cross their arms or they, you know, there's all these different little things that people can do that will will tell you that. And, and that's the problem is the, the cynics have uh, hijacked the word skeptic and in doing so have made, you know, a, a paranormal investigators uh, try to distance themselves from the word skeptic skeptic. Is what you have to be, not what you may be or might be or whatever. It is what you have mm-hmm. to be, if you are an investigator. Period. Done. If you are not, you are a cynic or you're gullible. One of the two. So you know you can <laughs> you can, you, can choose, you know you can be that uh, true believer syndrome where nothing you can convince them otherwise. That orb is grandma coming back to you know tell them you know that she's watching over them. Well. You know, it wouldn't have come up on a in an analog, you know, in a, in a film camera because it doesn't have any digital artifacts in a digital camera. And that's where it came from. There there are orbs that are very suspicious, very interesting, but most are going to be digital artifacts from a digital camera. And when you swallow that, you go, OK, now I'm looking for the ones that are not. Not just every one of them is. So I, I, I encourage these uh, people that are running around and doing the, the field work. You know, they really are. Uh, and they're collecting information. Be very, you know, aware. Be a skeptic in what you're looking at so that you can make a good decision.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm always uh, uh, chuckling, Greg, when the um, closed-minded skeptics, the cynics, yeah. then have their own personal experience with I the— love it. Extraordinary or unexplained.
5: Yes, I love it. So, can I can I tell you a story about that? Please. Okay. So, I have this man who's probably been the kindest man I've known in my life. Um, his name's Randy Anshaw. He runs a uh, a horse rescue in Fredericksburg, Texas, uh, and it's a big draft horse rescue. Um, Randy is a, uh, a career attorney uh first amendment attorney and uh, a very 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 logical man right mm-hmm. not an atheist but damn close to it and he always you know he'll roll his eyes and go what are you doing now you know he'll laugh whatever we'll talk and I, you know i go out and hang out with him work with the horses well he uh he calls me up one day and he says um hey Come down to the ranch, and and, uh, I want want to tell you something. I said, well, yeah, okay. When when do you want me to come down? "Uh, Next week, whatever. I said, well, what do you want to tell me? He goes, well, I want to tell you in person. Okay. So I go down the ranch. We're out there shoveling horse poop and, you know, spreading hay. And he goes, he looks at me, and he goes, it happened. And I was like, what happened? he goes, you know, a couple of months ago when I went to England, I said, yeah. He goes, I went to Wales. And I said, yeah. Uh, and he goes, uh, I got there, and I knew the hills. I knew the town. I knew the air. I knew the smell. I knew the buildings. And I'm like, what do you mean you knew? He goes, I knew I knew where I was. I, I knew who I'm like, what? <laughs> he had gone and done, uh, after he got back, he did a DNA test. Guess where all his people are from? <laughs> Whales. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Now, immediately, he dismisses it. He says, you know, if dogs can have, uh, you know, instinct, you know, and it could be passed on from parents, you know, to be afraid of something or know what to eat or whatever it is. Why can't human beings do that? So this is probably just a physiological uh, thing that I experienced I to do this beyond that. You know, it's not <laughs> And so he's just, it, it, you saw it on his face. It was like this little glimmer of hope, like, wow, there's something else going on here. Mm-hmm. And, and I love that, and especially for him, because like I said, he's, he's on the, the Michael Shermer level of, <laughs> of, of skeptical, you uh, know, cynic. And so, anyway.
0: As a musician, uh, many, many years ago, I experienced uh, an extraordinary state that was not the product of drugs or alcohol. It was playing with a bunch of guys that I had a lot of time with, and we were playing, and suddenly um, we all shifted into a state of awareness where things slowed down. I, I knew what the other individuals were going to play before they played the note. They had that same sort of ESP connection with me. And we looked up with wonder and amazement and these dumb grins in our face, slowly nodding our heads going, wow. And so that was one of my first personal experiences with a altered state or an extraordinary level of being. And I've since found that also with people that have had these personal experiences with the extraordinary. Um, Greg, have you had a sense, and I know that you bring all your investigative uh, skills and background to the interview, but have you had that sense at times that when you talk to the people that are relating their personal story, that you sit back and say, my God, I believe them. I think they, they have had this.
5: Yes, yeah. Um here's here's where I I'm I doubt doubt myself quite a bit because I've been wrong before, you mm-hmm. know, and, and when you when you've done uh you know hundreds if not thousands of criminal cases mm-hmm. um and in those cases you're you know you don't want to ever indict somebody you don't want ever write a, an affidavit saying that this person committed a crime and, and arrest them and put them in jail unless they did it and it, i've done it a few times i've put people in jail that were absolutely innocent uh, but at the time uh, the evidence, the circumstances, and my feeling uh, uh, about the situation, um, you know, led me down a different path. Mm-hmm. And I, in my uh, criminal work, I do my best not to do the instinctual thing, not to do the the gut instinct or the, you know, the intuition thing. I try to go specifically by... Uh, you know the circumstances and the evidence. Period, and just just do that. Whenever I'm talking with somebody that's in a paranormal situation, then I, I completely open up and, and you know uh, try to experience this other thing that that you know leads you down a particular path, um, which you know can't be qualified or quantified. It's just um, you know it's it's like I said, a good instant kind of thing. Now now there's individuals, I was a mental health officer for a couple of years, and mm-hmm. and so that's a cop that gets called out on uh, critical incidents like uh, hostage situations, suicide situations, barricaded people, and, and also people who are experiencing uh, some sort of uh, mental illness, uh, delusions, hallucinations in there. Uh, the regular uniform cops don't know what to do with them, so they call in a, a, a CIT or a mental health person. And so I would go and, and do interviews with folks, and I've done lots of interviews of abductees, and uh, there's been very uh, a lot of them that I completely believe that they believe their experience, that, that this experience did happen to them, but I don't know if it was an alien that did it. I don't know if they were actually abducted, and they went to a spaceship, but they, in their mind, for sure, experienced it just because i get no cues of deception at all on the person uh and then they don't don't try to explain their way out of it a lot of times people will try to put in too much information as far as you know validating what they're saying and 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 that sort of stuff and it and it gets away from what they really experience so yes absolutely
0: this is greg lawson the author of how to be a paranormal detective and greg when we come back from this top of our break Let's have a hypothetical situation where you have the ability to of how you would approach this um, alleged incident and what you would do to try to find out more, okay? Okay. Greg Lawson, the website is authorgreglawson.com. You'll also find Greg Lawson, L-A-W-S-O-N, on Facebook. He's our special guest, and the book... uh, published by Rosemary Ellen Guiley's Publishing Company, Visionary Living Publishing. It's a great book, folks. How to Be a Paranormal Detective. Jim Shorty and Scott Colborne and Greg Lawson, and you guys and gals, stay tuned for more. We are exploring unexplained phenomena. Voice of the Blues in Lincoln, Nebraska, KZUM Lincoln,
3: and KZUM HD.
7: Support for KZUM comes from family-owned and operated Butheris Mason Love Funeral Home at 40th and A Streets in Lincoln, offering services that allow families to plan ahead according to personal wishes, chapel facilities to accommodate all faiths, and grief support materials for the family following a service. More information is available at 402-488-0934 and online at bmlfh.com.
6: The KZUM Summer Concert Series runs every Thursday at 7 p.m. through August 1st at Stransky Park near 17th and Harrison. Join us in the great outdoors with live music and food trucks. This week, a funky double bill with Jaguar James and the house band, plus food by Pepe's. Special thanks to this season's sponsors, Dietz Music, Butheris Mazur & Love, and Shirts 101. Find out more on Facebook and kzum.org.
7: My name is Manny Morales. I'm 45 and I coach youth football. It's still hard to believe because the high school me was a work in progress. But Big Brothers, Big Sisters, give me a real role model. And the young me... Neither a role model, bad. My bigger brother's name is Ray. And Ray is the reason that this seven-year-old grows up to be a role model himself.
1: Whether you donate money or time, you're helping Big Brothers, Big Sisters help a child. Start something today at BigBrothersBigSisters.org. Brought to you by Big Brothers, Big Sisters and the Ad Council.
4: Hi, I'm Dick Valverde, and I'd like to invite you on a musical journey of both sound and rhythm to a place I call Mesoterra. We'll travel far from commercial culture and just a step or two away from the abstract. So join me on Saturday afternoons, 3 to 5 p.m. for Mesoterra, right here on KZUM.
0: Scott Colborn with Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. Stay tuned at 12 noon for Beta Radio. I have no idea who's going to be sharing that or what the uh, program content is. It's an exploratory program. And uh, so if you're curious, stick around. Beta Radio at 12 noon. Our guest is Greg Lawson, the author of the brand new book, How to Be a Paranormal Detective, Mr. Lawson's got a a career as a law enforcement officer and also military background, and he brings to bear his investigative techniques and has laid out in a book a really good plan for a lot of folks that wanna do more than just simply be curious about the paranormal. Greg, let's say that the, the phone rings and or you get an email from somebody that describes a situation that they're uh, that they're having. Uh, how would you go about uh, this whole process of the investigation?
5: At the first the first part is uh, I, I kind of just let them tell me what it is, uh, and then I delve off my my questions uh, for them. I will be steering kind of around the subject but trying to figure out what their motivation is. Um, I've had individuals approach me that, hey, um, I just bought this bar and it's supposed to be haunted. Can you come in here and tell me it's haunted? Nope, I can't do that. (laughs) I'm not going to do that. Uh, There's plenty of paranormal groups out there that would love to have their name on your door saying that your building is haunted, and I don't do that. Um, I, I help people with experiences that they're having, or if it's just really interesting, then I will... Uh, You know, if there's some really interesting phenomena, I will go in and look at it. Um, But most of the time, people just want something to stop or want to try to understand what it is that they're experiencing. So um, I will kind of try to figure out what their motivation is for doing this. Uh, The next thing uh, I'll try to meet with them someplace and actually uh, do an interview with them, which, you know, I mean, it's just, what, when, where, why, I'll let them do that I'll let them tell their story the way that they tell it, then I will go back in and clarify specific things, because people don't always tell a story in a chronological order, so I'll go back in and I will try to place this information in a chronological order, repeat it back to them uh, to make sure that I understand what they were trying to explain and if there are any inconsistencies then I'll cross-examine that a little bit and try to you know get that out of there, and then if there seems to be some other motivation out of that, then I'll have to go into some sort of very passive interrogation on, you know, what are they trying to do? Is this a hoaxer? Because believe it or not, in the paranormal, there's been a history of people <laughs> hoaxing and uh, and you know tried to trick people with this. So uh, that's one thing that you know uh, from my side is I can't allow that in my investigation. So if somebody is intentionally doing that, I'm I'm pretty good at. Kind of narrowing them down and, and eliminating them, but if I if I vet that witness, if I realize that this witness does believe that they're having some sort of uh, um, you know paranormal, uh, unnatural thing happening to them, the next thing I'm going to do is uh, I need to you know vet them in a way that um, we're not going to get you know my brother Vinny uh, <laughs> repeat of you know uh, somebody identifying somebody uh, that's across the street. And they can't even see, you know, across the room. So um, we'll have to go back in and let, let's see what's going on. You had mentioned, you know, as far as your experience uh, as a musician, um, the first thing you did is you qualified your statement. You said, I wasn't on drugs. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, I, This was just some sort of metaphysical with some sort of, uh, you know, just, really crazy thing that happened. And, and I completely get that. Um, so, you know, you go into, you know, what, what's the drug history in this person, psychological history? You know, are they an alcoholic? Um, uh, you know, could it be poisoning from a prescription drug or something else? Uh, could it be due to a head injury, you know, lack of sleep, high fever, uh, you know, uh, brain cancer, tumor, cyst, abnormal, you know, some sort of abnormality in their, in their processing or, or even epilepsy. So you have to be able to go through that. When somebody is not willing to share uh, their medical history and especially if they're having visual experiences, mm-hmm. um, I, I have people that I can go to that we can get an MRI and that's something that will isolate things very quickly. Uh, And that MRI will, you know, pick up uh, any kind of injuries to the brain or uh, abnormalities uh, to the brain that may affect the visual cortex, may affect the auditory cortexes. And so we have to eliminate that stuff. I'm not saying that in every one of uh, my investigations I do this, but in the more advanced, uh, very interesting investigations, we will end up getting to that point. The interesting thing is, is as soon as somebody says, yeah, I don't don't want to do that, I don't want to answer that my medical history is my my personal thing, and I don't want to talk to you about it, So, okay, well, that's something that's part of the investigation, that we need to eliminate all the naturally occurring things first, and then go to the paranormal, not go to the paranormal first. So when they're not willing to do that, we part ways very amicably, and um, you know, I I wish them the best. Mm -hmm. Uh, But to conduct the investigation has to go pretty in depth. And it's funny, cause I, I've talked to a lot of uh, uh, paranormal investigators and they're like, well, how many investigations have you done? I'm like, eh, I have to look at it, but not, you know, uh, I, I haven't really shut down and numbered them. Well, I've had, you know, I've done 1700 investigations in my, you know, uh, 10 years of experience and, and that just blows my mind. Cause I'm sitting there going, okay, in law enforcement, if you're a detective, you can ha- you can be a general assignments detective. In other words, you're investigating criminal mischief, like people throwing eggs at your car or, uh, you know, moving your Christmas decorations around like your deer and making them look like they're doing something different <laughs> than what they're supposed to be doing, you know, uh, all the way to, you know, uh, burglary and then robbery and uh, persons' crimes, sex crimes and, and, and homicide, right? Well, a gad detective will have 1700 investigations in a year. A homicide detective will have six. Or if you're in Memphis, you know, you're going to have 30 or something. Mm-hmm. But the investigations are handled differently. And it's not just about going in the house. I got an EVP. Yeah, there's a ghost here. There's a lot more to it than that. So that's the approach I come to. And I, I, I try not to ask leading questions. And that's something I watch investigators do every time, not sometimes. (laughs) I'm talking every time, Uh, especially on the TV shows, you know. Uh, I always used to tell people, if you want to see how not to do cop work, watch the show (laughs) cop. You know? Well, um, in some cases, if you want to, you know, uh, understand how not to do an investigation, you know, there's TV shows out there, as far as paranormal TV shows, that you could go and go, yeah, that's absolutely wrong. Um, You could never get an indictment. You would never get, you know, uh, uh, anything. Uh, No, no one would take you serious based on the way that you conducted that. However, it makes great TV. It's really fun. I mean, it's, you know, it's it's entertaining. Um, But to do something serious no, no, that's not how you do it. You
0: you had uh, that's where I would start. I, I, I read your book cover to cover. Finished it last night, and again, it's you are a
5: sick man, sir. I apologize. <laughs> oh, no,
0: it's uh, it's Whoa, a he's got you pegged,
1: Scott. <laughs> it's a it's a
0: much needed book in the in the in the field, Greg, and so I'm going to well, thank you. Uh, help a lot yes. of people get introduced to you and your work. Uh, there is a part yeah, of the yeah, book yeah. that I was wanted to ask you about because uh, I also have that interest in the first-person accounts, talking to the witness, getting that information. And uh, you described a procedure where you have them give you kind of the facts, and then you go back, and I'm trying to remember how you put it. You get them to talk about their feelings and emotions and trying to put themselves back into that moment in time.
6: Right. And you say
0: that when you do that, what they thought was all the information that that had been revealed. Suddenly, there's more stuff coming out.
5: Yeah, Hugo, uh, Hugo Musterberg, I think, was the guy that uh, coined the uh, the term the cognitive interview, uh, and he did that in the uh, in the late 1800s, in 19 or, or early 1900s. Mm-hmm. Can't remember, but anyway, uh, Hugo was a pretty interesting guy, and. Um, you know, and he he identified basically four steps in the cognitive interview, uh, isolating the individual's mind there as far as the, the location of the event, um, to you know, making sure that they don't hold back any thing because a lot of times when you're when you're telling uh, your story, uh, you may feel that something is not important so you don't address it. So you encourage them not to hold back anything, even if it's, yeah, there was a, you know, there was a snail crawling along the the ground. Mm -hmm. If you notice that, go ahead and say it. You don't know, you know, what if this is at a, uh, at a crime scene of a uh, decomposed body and, um, you know, it was 10 feet over that way, but there's a snail over here. Well, you know, snails can be attracted to certain things. So maybe there's more than one body, you know, we're sitting there looking at one and so don't hold back anything and then allow the, the witness to tell their story the way that they tell them mm-hmm. um, and 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 then bring them into a reverse order of that. Um, and, and that's often a challenge because um, they will come up with a different kind of version. Maybe the chrono- chronology will be the same, but there will be some different information uh, and, you know. Uh, Usually you end up asking them, you know, let's go ahead. And if someone else was standing here, what would they have seen? You know, if they're standing standing uh, over here by this tree and you had walked up on the path, what would they have seen as you walked up on the path? Mm -hmm. And give that, you know, that that third eye kind of thing uh, over there. People have asked me, you know, before, have you ever used psychics or anything on your on your investigations, uh, on your criminal investigations? And my answer is yes. And they always go, okay, you know, uh, did they solve the case? The answer is no. But, um, they think differently than I do. And so, they expose different, um, uh, different, have the different versions, different views of the criminal act or the, the crime scene or the interview or whatever it is. So, um, that's what you're trying to do in the cognitive interview is you're trying to access that person's uh, subconscious in some ways mm-hmm. uh, of information that they didn't actually uptake, but it's just kind of floating around in there. They didn't uptake in you know a you know long-term memory, and it's just kind of floating in there somewhere. And uh, you try to get that out of it.
0: This is Greg Lawson. His website is author, Greg Lawson. Dot .com Lawson is L A W S O N and did, have I'm I I can't be the first person to make this connection but sometimes I'm interested in people's names and their profession and you're in law enforcement with the last name of Lawson
5: yeah it's <laughs> you know it's one of those things where uh, you, you have coincidence and then you have you know something else um it's it's my grandfather was also in law enforcement. He was a uh, okay. law enforcement official in Kentucky. Uh, prior to that, his his father was a uh, uh, was in the military, which would have been uh, kind of the law enforcement at that point because it would have been the early 1800s, mm-hmm.
3: uh,
5: as opposed to like mid 1800s. So uh, you know the the U.S. Army handled a lot of law stuff out on the. Uh, in the territories, as it would be, I guess, at that point. So, yeah, I'm not sure whether that's a a paranormal thing in my DNA that's been passed down and that's what I'm interested in, or whether it's just ADD. I don't know.
0: (laughs) Well, we're we're glad that you are and glad, again, for this this book as a great contribution. Um, Jim, Greg mentions in the book also the need for background research. And so... The Historical Society mm-hmm. um, is a incredible resource yes. to be able to go back and take a look at the history of an area, what people were saying, what they were experiencing, mm-hmm. what they were doing. Also, uh, uh,
1: newspaper archives, um, the library, old high school yearbooks. But we have a person on our team. Her name is Dana. And... Uh, We had access to a building for a period of time in a small town in Nebraska, and she really went after it and used all kinds of resources, developed a history of this this building and the area and some of the personalities involved that uh, may or may not have been part of the alleged activity. And it was it was really great work. I'm I'm just in awe of of what she had done, and. <clears throat> Greg, I might mention uh, I commented to Scott off the air that on on your book you look like a cop, and well, I, I can I can say that, and I don't mean that in a bad way because I've had law enforcement in my family. You've when,
0: looked at cops. What? Yeah, one,
1: one of my brothers was yeah. a cop. Uh, two of my dad's brothers were state troopers, so I've been around that my whole life.
5: Yep. Yeah, that uh, that that photograph on the back. Um, I got that kind of really. <laughs> really, that's what you're telling me. Look, oh <laughs> well, yeah, and
1: it's that kind that's of kind pier- piercing kind of stare. It. That's you know, yeah. To, to tell John, me that again,
5: <laughs> we're, yeah, we're going down the wrong path, my friend. That's a that's
1: a great picture.
0: Well, this is uh, in so many ways so interesting, Greg, to talk with you because I've been at this uh, since the 1970s. Yes, I'm that old, <laughs> and.
1: You're older than that.
0: <laughs> yeah. And this this is so needed because when people have yes. a unexplained, unusual experience, oftentimes one of the resources they call is law enforcement. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I know when I saw um, a UFO back in 1974, that was one of the things on a kind of self-conceived checklist that I did was I called um, the police department, I called the uh, National Guard, trying to see sure. if there were other reports of people having seen or talking about something. So, Greg, oftentimes your brothers and sisters in law enforcement, you guys are the people that answer the phone.
5: Absolutely. It's... it's it's. Um, it, and the unfortunate part about it is a lot of uh, law enforcement don't take it seriously. And, mm-hmm. you know, if, if I remember when I when I first promoted the detective, um, everybody thought it was funny because this lady's chicken got killed. So they the, the sergeant assigned the new rookie cop to go investigate the chicken murder. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, guess what I did? You know, 32 pages later, uh, you know, 17 uh, di- diagram drawings. You know, 100-something photographs, all this stuff. I, I nailed the dog that was next door to the you know, to <laughs> wow. the house. And, the, and the, awesome. uh, the woman was saying that the kids were the ones that killed it. And it wasn't. It was the dog. And, you know, and she was like, uh, well, why the dog didn't eat it? You know, and it's like, no, the dog killed it, played with it, and went back home and ate his gravy train because that's what he liked. And, uh, and so it, it was pretty comical. But when you conduct an investigation like that, if you have time, Um, You get really good at, you know, and so when you get to that level, you've already developed this, uh, you know, these procedures to do that. Uh, And, you know, uh, we're we're talking about kind of we were indicating on coincidence, you know, it's like, all right, is it a coincidence? I'm in law enforcement. My my last name's Lawson. Um, Is it a coincidence that, you know whatever it is, that you're in the right place at the right time to, mm-hmm. to see this bird come up and sit in your lap, look at you, and it flies away. and It was a cardinal, and it's like, okay, that was Grandpa. You know, and he said that. Well, you know, he's using that inductive reasoning kind of ways to fit into our our belief system, you know, our, our babes, or whatever, the, the book. I, I talk a little bit about that as far as our values, assumptions, behaviors, and expectations. And we relate to the world based on our vaguebes, based on our biases, and that can lead us very easily to misunderstandings and you know misconceptions and misidentifications. and uh, uh, but what if it's not? What if it is this something else that's kind of moving things around and putting that cardinal in your lap? I mean, mm-hmm. How random is that? Your grandfather dies the next day a cardinal lands in your lap. It's never happened in 50 years of your life, and it, and it, and it happens. You know, Michael Shermer will roll his eyes at that. I won't, but I will be inquisitive. You know, what did you have in your lap? Well, yeah, I was carrying a bag of seeds. Well, you know, mm-hmm. then there's that. <laughs>
4: mm-hmm.
5: You know, so you have to do your investigation. You have to, to, to look behind the curtain. And and if it's if it's the Wizard of Oz, there, great. But if it's an old man pulling some levers and switches and stuff, then yeah, it's not so great.
0: Uh, is it uh, important to talk with the people that are telling you about their experience at the location or at a separate place?
5: Um. So I typically would like to interview them in whatever uh, the, is, is a comfortable atmosphere for them. So if we want, if they want to do it at their house, but the location of the event was someplace else, I would rather go ahead and do it at their house where they're where they're uh, comfortable uh, and in their environment. Mm-hmm. If this was a law enforcement criminal case, I would not want them in a comfortable environment. I want to put them in an uncomfortable <laughs> environment, and you know, and and interview them in that way. But when you're trying to help somebody, obviously, you know, you don't want to give them PTSD or, or, you know, add to their PTSD on the interview. Um, So I'd like to do that. But then if they're comfortable going back to that scene, then absolutely doing a walkthrough is, is key because, um, you know, you can tell me one thing and I get it in my head on how it happened. But once we get to the location, I could have had things completely backwards, you know? Um, that happens a lot when people give you directions on north, south, east, and west. Well, oh, you're yeah. moving north, you know? Uh, they don't know what north is, <laughs> you know. They, 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 or, or you get it wrong. So it, it's important.
0: That's yeah, when I was a kid, my dad would play a game with me. He would say, what direction are we heading? And I would just try to make up a guess. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. It was only when I started <laughs> driving a car operating that same machine that I then started to develop that awareness of, okay, the sun's over here, or this is a landmark, and I know, so that's when I started putting that together. Um,
5: And most people don't. Most people don't pay any attention to that, especially people today, because they rely completely on Google Maps or, or, you know, some other um mapping system mm-hmm. uh, you know if I needed to know where to go I could just turn on Google and say hey uh, I want to go to the restaurant and they say okay take a right here take a left here it's it's pretty scary as far as well, when we get new cops nowadays uh, to have to go in and, and explain map orienteering to them mm-hmm. and how you get <laughs> from one place to another without technology it's it's That's pretty challenging sad. well and I
1: and I have to tell people all the time that it's your Google Earth, your maps, your whatever. They're only a guideline. You should know your route beforehand. Yeah. Otherwise, you'll drive off a bridge or drive into railroad tracks or something because it's the, the route is wrong.
0: Uh, right. uh, Greg, when we come back, uh, I want to talk to you about uh, the gut or intuition. Okay. Greg okay. Lawson, the author of How to Be a Paranormal Detective... The website is authorgreglawson.com You'll also find information on his book at visionarylivingpublishing.com I'm Scott Colborn with Jim Shorty and uh, the parapsychologist Lloyd Arbach and Jim and I have talked several times on the mm-hmm. show about the need for something like this and lo and behold here mm-hmm. it is. Yep. Yep and uh, it's a great book folks How to be a paranormal detective we'll Be right back with more conversation with Greg Lawson after this by his Voice of the Blues in Lincoln, Nebraska. KZUM
3: Lincoln and KZUM HD.
6: Support for This Week in Lincoln comes from the venues with listings here. This is live music happening This Week in Lincoln. On Saturday, June 22nd, Bailey's Local hosts a street dance with Lloyd McCarter and the Honky Tonk Revival in Eagle. On Sunday, June 23rd, the Zoo Bar hosts Zularius at 8, and... Lucas Minor and Endless Highway start at 8 at the Playmore that is live music happening this week in Lincoln
7: the full moon lights the silver rails winding around dark mountains and over steep gorges of jagged rock and one freezing cold rushing black mountain river I wish there was enough time to describe all of the funny twists and turns that led up to now but there isn't enough time because there's a ticking clock and the two passengers we care most about don't know anything about it To see what happens next, visit read.gov to read The Exquisite Corpse, a riveting adventure pieced together by John Shuska, Shannon Hale, Daniel Handler, and other popular authors. Explore New Worlds. Read. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Dick
4: Valverde, and I'd like to invite you on a musical journey of both sound and rhythm to a place I call Mesoterra. We'll travel far from commercial culture and just a step or two away from the abstract. So join me on Saturday afternoons, three to five PM, for Mesoterra, right here on KZUM.
0: Scott Colborne with Exploring Unexplained Phenomena. Uh, Greg, the uh, the intuition facility that we all carry around with us, our internal guidance system. Uh, You guys and gals in law enforcement and certainly in the military have come to trust that because of lots of experience. And it may be a combination that, that happens very, very quickly of all the stimulus being put together, evaluated, and then... There's that insistent voice within saying, watch out, be careful, be on high alert. Uh, this last week at a, a location in Lincoln, there was a gentleman that uh, was called by the security company. And uh, a motion detector had gone off in a place of business. So he jumped in the car and drove over there and... and. Uh, it had come from a specific part of the of the building inside a a room. So uh, he had locked the door, walked in, and uh, no evidence of any breakage of anybody in there. And so as he began to walk into this room where the motion detector had gone off, uh, he said, "It didn't feel right." So his his gut was saying, Something was going on there. Um, He disabled that motion detector and still had the perimeter set up, went home, went back to bed, and then early the next morning, a security camera in that room recorded a video of what looks like a, a ball of energy rising up in the air and then going outside the camera's um, uh, range. So something triggered his intuition. Something told him, watch out, be careful. Um, you've experienced that professionally, both in the military and also in your work as a, uh, investigator of the paranormal. And you've talked to some people that have described the onset of their experience by saying that it didn't feel right. They're trying to describe, aren't they, Greg, almost a altered state that's happening. Something is occurring that all their senses come on full alert.
5: Right. Um. I, I've talked to a, a, a lot of people. I've done a, a lot of uh, uh, interviews both, you know, uh, as a mental health officer in, in strange things, but also as things that are very normal, uh, you know, um, walking down an alley, thinking that, uh, you know, the, the victim says they were walking down an alley and they felt that somebody was watching them. And as they rounded the corner, all of a sudden something happened. And, you know, and, and it goes from there. And they knew um, that something Mm-hmm. Was not good Now the question is Is w- Were they picking up something Other than uh, That would normal normally happen In other words you have uh, brain structures That are designed to keep you alive Your primal brain Which is a reptilian brain um, uh, Human brains are a reptilian brain Wrapped in this big spongy thing That makes us human Makes us aware of uh, It makes us able to say I am me And understand what that means, but the reptilian brain doesn't do that. Reptilian brain keeps you alive, keeps you safe, keeps you procreated, keeps you, you know, uh, uh, and fed. And there are some other little structures, the amygdalas and stuff, that are designed to keep you alive. And so, um, you know, you, you can rely on those. And you know that will give you tactile experiences as far as you know uh, temperature changes, um, you know you feel a breeze, that sort of stuff on your skin, um, and then your ears and all, all the rest of your senses are all processing all that, and they're mm-hmm. you know they're 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 basically creating a math problem that equals danger or equals safe,
4: right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
5: So it's dark, you're walking down an alley, it's two o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you, sh- you should have taken the, the, the longer way around where it's lit, but you decided to save some time. You made a poor decision. Uh, you know, your, your heightened awareness is getting higher and higher and higher. Uh, and and you, you can experience type one or type two errors in that. Type one error is you're, you're walking in the woods and the bush rustles, makes in the way. So you draw your weapon, you point it at the bush, you cover it, and you realize, oh, it was just the wind. You holster your weapon, you continue moving. Or you can walk by the bush at Russell's and you go, oh, it's just the wind, and you don't draw your weapon, and the tiger gets out and eats your face off. That's a type 2 error. That's bad. So you always want to try to keep yourself on the safe side uh, and and make the type 1 errors. But, of course, we don't want to pull our guns on every noise and everything like that. So there's this weird balance that's going on uh, in all that. And that that leads to what you were talking about is is you know what is this intuition? Is it a physiological thing that happens with our brain, uh, and it's and it's due to our training that we've had? You know, don't stick your finger in the light socket. And our experience that we had: I'm not going to listen to mom. I'm sticking my finger in the light socket. <laughs> oh wow, that hurt. I'm not going to do that anymore. You know, you you have that, and it evolves into is it a brain structure is it training is it experience or is it something else something outside of what the brain what a, a, a you know a, a contemporary psychologist would tell you how you make decisions mm-hmm. and how you interpret it, your environment so yeah you know um gut instinct insight intuition all of that that you have uh, um It needs to be taken into consideration, and you need to pay attention to it. You know, you're in a, a, it's 12 o'clock at night, and you're on the 14th floor of a parking garage. Um, You go over to the door, and uh, you push the button. The door's open, and there's three men inside there that are not of your race. And, of course, you're going to step on the elevator because you do not want to insult them and appear racist. Instead of going, hey, John, come on, and act like you have a friend with you. Go, come on, the elevator's here. Oh, it's going to take him a minute. Y'all go ahead. That's the litmus test right there. When they go, oh, okay, and they continue going, then you know everything's fine. But if they go, no, no, we'll wait. Yeah, that's when you step back and go, let me go check. I think he's still in the car. And you you move the other way. And I use the, the, the race side of it because it's so controversial. But we're designed to be familiar with the people that we grew up with and that we're, you know, we interact with. And outside of that, it gets real weird. So you have to listen to that stuff, especially as an investigator. But you also don't need to take your investigation all the way down just because this guy looks like a child molester. So I'm going to and, you know, I'm going to do my best to put him in jail instead of, I'm gonna Mm -hmm. do my best to conduct the investigation and figure out what happened.
0: Greg, in your career, have you seen an apparition that you couldn't prosaically explain?
5: I I have seen things that I can't explain, especially in the dark. Um, And, you know, you see that a lot on digital video. Uh, there'll mm-hmm. there'll be a, a camera going down a dark hallway, uh, and there will be like this pixelated entity or something like come out from one side and go to the other. Well, there's all kinds of reasons for that oh, as yes. far as technology wise, because it's the 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 camera, the the digital portion of the camera, the computer part is trying to make sense of not seeing anything, so it's mm-hmm. it's fluctuating and it's doing uh, different things. So I have actually. Yeah. seen that visually and that's that's uh, exactly
1: correct because I, I work for a company that manufactures security cameras and you're, you're absolutely yeah. spot on
5: yeah and so you you and, and you know and i say that in general because if i have a piece of video that somebody wants me to to look at i'll look at it and go yeah that's unusual and they're like well see so it's a ghost no no let's talk to the Expert, I am not an expert in video. I got a friend of mine that mm-hmm. that uh, does uh, you know video forensics. Let's throw it over in his lap and let's see. We'll come to find out it's a copy of a copy. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if it if they've copied it off of something, if it's not the original thing, uh, then uh, the the digital format changes yeah. in the back, and you can't see any uh, you know hoax manipulation that somebody may have you know drawn a, a spaceship on the video and Mm -hmm. made it fly across the screen. It looks great. Um, But if you don't have that original copy of that video to be able to, for go in and and examine it and it's a copy, well, it's, it's Mm -hmm. interesting. That's all you can say. Um, So then whenever I'm outside of my, (laughs) my expertise, I'm like, Nope, we got to kick this over to this guy. Mm -hmm. He knows what he's doing because I, I do specific things and I don't do everything. Um, so yeah, the the intu- intuition is huge you know I, I've worked with cops before that haven't been to a single interview school and they are masters at interviewing cross-examining and and uh, interrogating people and they do it specifically just on their instinct the way they feel the way the person's reacting they just and they're really great at it of course they could be sociopaths too and you know they just really don't care and, and you know they just are are trying to paint this person into a corner to to get them to confess, but it's pretty amazing when you watch it happen. Um, So they they work exclusively off intuition. Mm -hmm.
0: In in 2007, uh, I saw a full-bodied apparition in a cabin in Estes Park, Colorado, and I had had the sense that I needed to be vigilant, aware, not because of something bad that was going to take place, but uh, my two kids and I were in the cabin, and for two or three days, I had a sense that as the the warrior manning the walls, defending the kids, that I should stay up late, and I like to read, so I would stay up until oh maybe 3 3 30 in the morning and then i would get a sense okay it's it's time to go to bed now and that that sort of need to be aware would would leave and i would sleep and that that happened for two or three nights um and i'm, I'm getting plenty of rest so i'm not uh, not short there and then one night sitting on the couch in the living room i look up and there's a guy Greg walking down the hallway and he takes about three steps and takes a hard left and goes into the bathroom and I'm thinking that reptilian part of my brain is I'm starting to shout down the hallway for my daughter to see if she's okay because he was walking from the bedroom area I'm starting to rise and get on my feet and I'm gonna go after this guy because we got somebody in the cabin Even though later on, I could think through this rationally and say, you know, it was nighttime. I checked all the windows. They were locked. Everything was door. Access doors were good. You know, our vehicle outside is locked up. I'd already done that safety check. But I was responding to this visual thing. There is a threat. (laughs) There's somebody in the cabin. And uh, so I advance on that bathroom door because there's only one way out of that, and when I get there, there's nobody in the bathroom. So I think back, and that was one of the reasons why I asked you about intuition, because I'd had what I now believe was sort of a precursor getting me ready for this, saying, be aware, be awake, be vigilant, know your surroundings, because something may or may not happen. So in 2007, right. I, I joined the club. I can't tell you who this mid-20s young man was. Um, I can close my eyes, Greg, and see him plain as day. And that has helped me to have more empathy for others that I've talked to that have said stuff like, let me tell you this story, and by the way, you're going to think I'm crazy, but... Because I've been down that road too,
5: right? Yeah, and what's so funny about that is, is, is my wife and I will be at a some sort of uh, you know public gathering kind of thing, and mm-hmm. we're talking to people, and and somebody will always bring up, well, you know, Greg does this or whatever, and 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 a couple of people will look at me and go, "What? You hunt ghosts?" And you know, they roll their eyes, and I'm like, "Yeah, it's not really what I do, but yes, yeah, sort of, you know." And then they walk away. Uh, And then I go get some hors d'oeuvres. I'm standing there, whatever. And that guy that just rolled his eyes at me will come over and go, you know, one time when I was at band camp (laughs) or whatever it Mm -hmm. was, and they tell me their story. Everybody. It happens every time. My wife laughs all the time. She's like, oh, here we go. You know, he told you the story, didn't he? And uh, it seems like just about everybody has one, you know, And and some of them are some sort of misunderstanding or, or something. But you know, I've had so many stories told to me. I've had so many you know people just sharing experience, not really wanting to conduct an investigation on it. But just like, yeah, man, I I have cops that come to me and go, hey, can I talk to you? And I'm like, I'm like the you know the the pseudo psychiatrist on strange experiences for cops because they don't want to tell. Anybody else? Because they'll right. be in the psychologist or psychiatrist office, yep. you know. And uh, you you get uh, you get points deducted in your uh, you know your MMPI, your your multi phasic personality disorder. I mean, person I always say that multi phasic personality inventory. Uh, when you take your test, though, whether you're stable or not to be a cop, and you lose points if you say that you saw a ghost or believe in the devil or you know. There's all these parameters that that they look at. Um, so, you know, I've, I've had people uh, really send me some nasty emails about, yeah, you don't know what you're talking about. You're just a debunker. You're this and that. And it's like, no, I'm not. You don't know what you're talking about. I, I don't respond to them that way, but I just don't pay attention to um, You know, until you have your own experience, you won't understand. And I, I don't agree with that. I can watch a train wreck, and I don't have to be a conductor. <laughs> you know, I don't have to be a train conductor in order to recognize this. So if all of this is happening everywhere and all these people are having this experience, I have to say there's something more. There's something to it. I've had multiple um, mediums or psychics talk to me and they'll ask me, have you ever seen anything? And I said, you know, I, I've seen some things I really don't can't explain, but I can't say, you know, it was a full bodied apparition walking down the hallway, turning left in the bathroom. That has not happened to me. And they're like, we wouldn't think so, or they would say, you know, I, I wouldn't think so, or yeah, I, I can imagine not. And I'm like, why do you say that? And it's like, well, they don't like you. <laughs> wow. And I'm like, well, that's wow, almost yeah. convenient, right there, you know. Uh, so that explains everything. Um, I've had multiple uh, psychics and, and mediums tell me that. Uh, and I've, I've had experiences that were very strange. If you read the book, I don't know if you remember the uh, um, Saved by an Angel story. Yes. uh, Yeah. And so, I mean, she absolutely saw angel wings out of my back and a huge halo. And I came up and I saved her and, and saved her baby. And... Um, You were were also
0: the talk of all those cops that were staged there because you walked up cool, calm, and collected (laughs) and took this baby out of the woman's arm she was threatening to throw the baby over the railing from the third floor, and she handed the baby to you, and and you handed the baby off, and then you gave her a hug, and you took her to get some help, and then later on she says, yeah, that's the guy right over there. That's the angel.
5: Yeah, yeah, so... So, yeah, and, and when I'm, you know, when I was walking up those stairs, I could see her on the, the balcony because it was those, you know, apartment complex with those exposed stairs out down at the end. You know, it's not not a really nice apartment complex. And I'm walking up and she her eyes key in on me and she her eyes didn't leave. Me. I get up and I go inside the apartment. I just walk right by the two guys, guarding the door, you know, barricading her on, on the porch, walk straight up to her. She turns and hands it to me. And yeah what you said and yeah, it was one of those things where I knew it was right whatever I was doing that's what I was supposed to do and, and normally I would question myself because normally you would not uh, breach the outer uh, perimeter uh, of this barricaded person because you're going to have cops on the outer perimeter you're going to have cops in the inner perimeter cops right on top of them um, and that's the way they were and I just walked by everybody <laughs> and nobody really said anything to me or anything and wow. uh, yeah it was It was a pretty bizarre thing. And so, yeah, I'll share that with some of the mediums. They're like, yeah, they don't like you. Whenever you're around, they just kind of, you know, they they don't come around too much. I
1: I think that's a problem I have, honestly.
5: (laughs) Yeah.
1: Greg, we're out of
0: time. I want to thank you so much for um, taking time from your weekend to be with us. And uh, you have written an excellent book. Um, I really enjoyed and benefited a lot from reading your book, "How to Be a Paranormal Detective," and I hope this is read by a whole bunch of folks.
5: Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I,
1: I think I need a copy of this book for my bookshelf.
0: Okay, Greg. And what what kind of guitar do you like?
5: So lately, I've been playing a uh, um, a Gretsch. Believe it or not, okay. I, uh, I I really <laughs> I really like Fender um, uh, Telecaster, the uh, the Roadhouse with the two humbuckers. Um, just because it's kind of meaty and uh, it's fun, and, and I, I kind of like heavier stuff. So
0: yeah, well, lots of enjoyment, many sunrises and sunsets to you, Greg. Thank you so much.
5: Thank you, sir. Appreciate it.
0: And we're out of time, so Jim, thank you so much for being here great with fun. your good
1: work. Great, great show today.
0: Um, Greg Lawson, L A W S O N. The book is How to Be a Paranormal Detective. Mm-hmm authorgreglawson.com or go to the publisher's website com. Stay tuned for Beta Radio coming up next and uh, you're going to be in store for some
1: fun We got a guy
0: Yep, He's here Thank you so much for listening Take care, see you next week Until then, walk in beauty